morning's message is uh, reset. Uh, when you reset something, it's because uh, possibly it just uh, got its wires crossed or the message isn't coming through correctly. Um, I reset things in my house uh, on occasion. I just unplug them, counted 25, and plugged them back in. Um, so maybe that'll be uh, your experience here this morning. But we want to reset ourselves because we want to have a fresh start this new year with God. We have an opportunity to put first things first again, if first things slipped a little bit. Um, God is gracious. God is full of mercy. And so we come to him uh, with joy, but we also come to him knowing that there are things sometimes that he's working on and we're struggling with, and we really need to surrender those things so that we can see the fullness of God develop in our lives as we become more and more like him. The passage this morning I would like you to turn to is in the book of 1 John. So that's not the Gospel of John with Matthew, Mark, and Luke there. It's further on in our New Testament, almost to the very back. Um, if you're using one of these pew Bibles, it would be page 1209. But I'd like you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 7. We'll read 7 through 9 and then skip to 11 through 12. Let's hear God's word this morning. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because, let's read it together, God is love. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That is Jesus, the one we just celebrated his birth just last week. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. There's a lot in there. In this passage, we can clearly see something. There is a flow of love. There is a flow of love that comes from God, through his son, Jesus, into us, and then through us, into each other. That is the flow. That is the direction. It doesn't go the other way around. Sometimes we get confused. We don't, you know, oh, I've got to be more loving. Well, you can't be more loving unless the love that you have is coming from God through Christ to you. Let me say that again. You can't be more loving with the kind of love that God is talking about here. Because this is a, this is a special word in the Greek. It's the agape love. It's not phileo. They always brotherly love. It's agape love. Agape love is a self-sacrificing love. It's a caring more about you than I even care about myself. It's the kind of love that parents have for their children. It's the kind of love that, that families sometimes share together, but sometimes not. But agape love is a perfect love, and it comes from God. He is the source of it. You can't get it anywhere else. There is no, there is no imitation for this kind of love. It only comes from God, and God is this type of love, a self-sacrificing God. We know that because Jesus came 
and laid down his life, set aside his godhood, even took off that mantle of, of, of power and, and everything, and, and became a man, a baby, born in a manger, to grow and then to die voluntarily for you and for me and for all sinners who will repent and come to him. So this flow of this type of love, this agape love, comes from God through Jesus into you and then through you into the world. we got to get that straight. So that's one of the first things we want to remember this New Year's Day. Where does that kind of love come from? It comes from God. How do I receive it? Only through Christ. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You're not good enough to get it comes through Christ, his grace and mercy to you. But it doesn't stop there. You don't need to get all bloated on it. Let it flow out of you to those around you. Most of you know that. But let's just reset in case you got a little off kilter lately. Unless something pushed you in another direction. Let's reset that with God this morning. Because our loving relationship to our Heavenly Father, to Christ, and to each other give us the clearest experience of God we can have here in this world. Let me say that again. If you want to experience God, which I hope you do, I hope you are drawn to God. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're listening from home. You desire to get closer to God. If you want to experience God... You have to understand that it comes through the loving relationship with the Father, through the Son, and with each other, where it becomes clearer. We can see it more clearly. That's why, that's why John says, no one has seen God in that way, but we can experience God through this love that we have that comes from God and we share with each other. Our Christian lives have to be founded on agape love, on the kind of love that God gives. Because without that kind of love, our Christian life collapses, our witness collapses, our testimony collapses, because we begin to act like the world. Which in the world, the kind of love that they give is as long as they get something back. It's this exchange of, I'll love you, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. This is not the kind of love that God offers us. We can't reach high enough to scratch God's back. We just can't. And he knew that. And he has provided for us through Jesus Christ. And he wants us to experience, as John adds later in this, in this chapter of chapter 4 of 1 John, God is love, it says in verse 16. Whoever lives in love lives in God. So if you want to experience God, you've got to live into this type of love. Whoever lives in love, agape, lives in God and God in them. That exchange takes place. So that kind of love is our shining light to the world that God actually lives in us. If we don't have this love in place, the world can't see God living in us. Can see a lot of other characteristics, but they're not from God. They could see our selfishness. 
They could see our rudeness. There's all kinds of things that we might expose to the world. But what we are called to do as Christians, as witnesses to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is to show the love of God to the world. That they also may see him as you and I see him. And so we're not seeing some kind of glowing orb in the sky. We're not seeing some angel. We're, not seeing, we're, we're seeing the love of God in each other as we experience God's love ourselves and as we share God's love with each other. And we are called to share that kind of love with the world. You remember in Matthew when Jesus was asked this question, teacher, what is, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you will love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. But the second one is like it, is like it. It's interesting. You will love your neighbors as yourself. It's like loving God to love your neighbor with this type of love. It is experience with God to live in that kind of love for other people. You can't experience God any other way. And they, your neighbors, won't experience him either. Unless you love him with your whole self. So this January 1st of this year, let's get that straight again. Let's remember that love flows from God into us and then out of us into our neighborhoods, whatever those may be, your workplace, your school, your home, into our neighborhoods. And in order for us to walk closely with God and to grow in God in 2023, we must walk in his love. We must. We could do all kinds of other good things in 2023. All kinds of good things. But they won't count for anything unless we walk in the love of God while doing those things. Here's my proof of that. Turn a few pages over to Revelation chapter 2. It's just three or four pages there from where we were in 1 John. On page 12, 16. In this chapter, Jesus offers his opinion, which is a very important opinion, about certain churches. This particular one that we're going to look at is in chapter 2, starting in the very beginning of the chapter. Jesus is offering his opinion of the church in Ephesus. And he says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. In other words, false teachers. You found them to be false. You have persevered and you have endured the hardships for my namesake and have not grown weary. Sounds good so far. Yet, this hardworking church 
This church that didn't give up easily. This church that has good, strong teaching and good doctrine, biblical belief. This church that's not corrupted by evil people who are spreading false teaching, who've stayed pure to the word, who have also suffered for Jesus. This good church, Jesus isn't finished yet. Yet, I hold this against you, he says. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Yikes. All that good. All that perseverance. All that good teaching. All those good works. And now he's threatening to remove the lampstand, the light that they have from its place in their lives. What is happening? We can work real hard. We can study real hard. We can memorize all passages of the scripture. We can get it all straight and yet still miss it and lose the light of our lives. Apparently so. Apparently so. So let's get it straight. Let's reset and make sure we're on the right path with Jesus. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that the church should display the light of God for the world to see and that we should put that light on a lampstand so that everyone can see it. So it's not down on the ground. It's not hidden by any uh, uh, obstructions. It's up high, like a street lamp, up high, so that everyone can see. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, he says, let your light shine in the darkness. However, this church in Ephesus They think they're shining by their good works, by their hard work, by their perseverance. And that's part of it, but it's not enough for God. Not enough to keep the light shining. You see, in this case... In Revelation, Jesus is threatening the opposite. So he, he is in Matthew saying, let your light shine. And in Revelation, he's saying, I'm going to come and take that light from you. He will remove the light. They will no longer be able to shine. No matter how good their deeds are, no matter how good their doctrine is, a church without love no longer shines for God. A church without love no longer shines. It can do all kinds of other things. It could build big buildings. It could send lots of missionaries. It could feed lots of children. If it is not in love, it does not shine. Let that sink in. This is helpful because we like to be in control. We like to think we can do enough to make God happy. 
I was good today. God must be so happy with me. We're kind of trained that way in, in, in school and then in our employment and in life is that, you know, if, I, if I'm good enough, people will be pleased with me. I hate to break it to you, but it's actually the good news of the gospel. You could never be good enough. You will never be good enough. You need Jesus and his goodness, his righteousness to cover you completely to make you good enough. To hide all your flaws. To take away all your wrinkles and all your nastiness through the grace and love of God. We only shine when Jesus shines through us. We don't shine by our good deeds. We don't shine by the amount of money we give to charity. We don't shine by those things. Those things are a byproduct of a life with God. If he tells you to give, give. If he tells you to teach, teach. If he tells you, do what he asks you to do. Those are a byproduct, but those are not the source. The source is the love of God. The love of God. You see, without love, a church ceases to be his church. It can be an organization it can be an institution, but it will not be the church of the living God. He will take that light away from them. This church is all up and down the main streets of our communities. That, that's happened. Some have been sold. The property has just been sold off, turned into condominiums or turned into a, 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 a place to sell pot. Something. Right? Because the light no longer shines from them. Now, those are buildings. I understand that. But they were, were representing people at one time, people who were seeking God, people who desired to grow in God. But something happened. First things became second things, and then tenth things, and then way off the list to the point where, where is the love of God? There is no shining taking place, only darkness. Now, you might think that in this passage in Revelation that Jesus is only talking about our love for him and not our love for each other, but you'll notice it doesn't differentiate. It doesn't say in that passage what kind of first love it is. In verse 4 of Revelation chapter 2, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. It doesn't say your first love for me, for God doesn't say your first love for your neighbors or each other. He just says your first love. And I think there's a reason for this. He doesn't mention the object of that lost love, but in 1 John 4, it describes this love as so intertwined, so intermingled between the Father, the Son, and us that we can't possibly separate it. We can't possibly separate it. 1 John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God, I think we have it here, yes, whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. What are they lying about? Loving God. They're saying they're loving God, but they're hating their brother or sister. And scripture tells us that's not possible. That should give you goosebumps. That's 
an important thing to figure out because you don't want to be lying even to yourself. I love God. Oh, I hate sister so-and-so. She's a jerk. He's an idiot. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to the mirror. You're lying to those around you if that's your attitude towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they can see, here we were seeing again, cannot love God who they have not seen. So the test is, he surrounds us with people. Some of them are lovely. Some of you are lovely people. Some of you are not lovely people. And God in his infinite wisdom has surrounded us with both kinds of people. The ones that we say, oh, he's lovely, she's lovely. And the ones that we say, I can't stand her. I'd be happy if he never came back to church. You wouldn't say that out loud because you're so lovely. But inside you're feeling it. Inside you're thinking it. And I have bad news for you. Jesus and others, you can't separate those two loves. It's one love. And it's the love that comes from God. We show our love for God by loving each other. And demonstrating that love is the way we love God. So when you love one another, God is taking that personally. Whatever you have done to the least of these, you've done unto me. The Apostle Paul said it this way, but it sounds a lot like Jesus' words here in Revelation chapter 2. I'll turn to it. You don't need to, but it's in Corinthians 13. It's very familiar, very familiar. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all types of mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, and I even surrender my own body to the flames as a martyr, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. Sounds so familiar. In case you're wondering what a clanging gong sounds like, I just thought I'd give you a little help. All day long, that's what you sound like to God. And probably uglier. This was like the worst pan I could find. The other one sounded nice. I was like, no, no, no. It's got to not sound nice. Paul and Jesus are being kind of blunt with us because this is important to get it right. This is why we want to reset our lives on these truths. If we do not love, we're like a clanging gong or clanging cymbal, an annoying noise. God actually plugs his ears to it. He can't stand that racket. No matter how gifted, no matter how hardworking you are, you're nothing without love. You're wasting your time. Me too. I'm not just talking to you. 
I preach all these sermons to myself several times before I preach them to you. You're wasting your time in ministry. You're wasting your time at church. You're wasting your time doing good things if you do not love in this agape kind of love. If it's just give and take, bartering back and forth, you give me something and I'll give you something. The American way. It's consumerism. It's materialism. It's, it's, it's everything that's surrounding us all the time. This is why we need a loud noise to wake us up on New Year's Day. We stayed up too late. We've got to remember. New Year's is, is just the perfect time to repent and to return. As he says there, repent in verse 5. Remember the height in which you have fallen from and repent. And do the things you did at first. So repentance is just turning back or resetting yourself on the right path. You don't have to cover yourself with ashes and and weep and wail and all of that. But you do have to turn back. Face God face to face. Agree with him with whatever he says. Because he's always right. New Year's marks the time for new beginnings, for a fresh start, a time to turn over a new leaf and start again. Now, the world around us thinks it's all about dieting and exercise. Yeah. Now, that's a personal choice for you, I guess. God, when he talks about new beginnings, he's not saying get a new gym membership. Sign up again for another year. You didn't do last year. You wasted all that money on that membership. You went twice. You quit. Sign up again. Pay more because now there's inflation. No. That's not God. God wants us to make our resolutions, our changes, because a resolution is really a change, for him. The problem with the gym memberships and the diets and things like that is that they don't bring about permanent change. And what I mean by permanent is I mean eternal. Because we are eternal beings. We're not just here for a few years. That's temporary. But permanent change. God's resolutions, the returning to God, brings about eternal change. And the only way that we can experience permanent change is with God. Because that's another thing we can't do. We can't be good enough, and we can't change ourselves in this way, in an eternal way, in a valuable way, a way that pays off in dividends for eternity. You see, Jesus came to bring permanent change into our lives. He wasn't about temporary. He still isn't about temporary. We're so good at temporary, aren't we? I can do just about anything for a while until I get tired or until I get bored. I can do it for a while, but after a while on my own, eh, I'd rather take a nap. I'm not really into it anymore. You can be all excited at the beginning. Oh, it's a new year. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. If you're doing that based on you, based on your own strength, based on your own willpower, 
Sorry, Charlie. No, no, no offense, Charlie. <laughs> that was like a commercial when I was a kid, the tuna, remember? Sorry, Charlie. Sorry, Charlie. That's not going to work, right? It's just not going to work. You need the power of God, and you need the power of God's love to actually bring about the brand new life that you received from Christ the day you came to Christ. You're in a new time and in a new zone with God. Jesus brought his new covenant with us. If you know anything about the Old Testament, we don't have time this morning to go through it all. There was an old covenant, and it was based on a yearly renewal and a yearly payment for sin, and they had to go through that year after year. And actually, in the temple, there were sacrifices every day for people's individual sin, but even as a nation, they did it once a year. They, they brought those things in. They killed them. They drained the blood. They went through the whole process as God had shown them to do. But now, because time has changed, because Jesus has come, he brought us a new covenant. He didn't get born and stay in the manger. He grew up. He lived. He died. He rose again so that we might live in the forgiveness of God as children who are adopted into his loving family. And because of Jesus, there is this repentance, this way in which we can come back. It's the best news ever because we tend to wander. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We we tend to wander, but the good news is we can come back. You can come back today. You can come back tomorrow. You can come back the next day. Just come back before he comes back, okay? Because if he comes back before you come back, you got issues. A big problem. So today is the day of salvation or the day to come back, if you choose. Again, you cannot be forced. This is something that your heart has to come into alignment with God to be brought back into that beautiful, loving relationship that he established with you through the cross. See, the new covenant in which... He brings about a permanent change in our heart was given to us by his son. So when we receive Christ, we receive the new covenant. We receive the opportunity to come back. You didn't earn it. You didn't go to the right meeting, the right campfire, say the right prayer. You just got it through Jesus. He gives us his new covenant. God created this new covenant in his son. We practice it when we practice communion. We're not redoing the covenant. It's already done. We're remembering that the covenant was done. Amen? Amen. So the problem with the Old Testament covenant wasn't only that the people had to continually go back and constantly make new sacrifices for their new sins. God is a forgiving God, which is why he gave us the gift of sacrifice, the ability to sacrifice. And he's ready and willing to forgive and to start again every single day. His mercies are new every single day. The problem back then is that they were required to repent. And repentance itself becomes the problem. I want the blessing from God, but I still want to sin and do what I want to do. And God said no to Israel again and again 
and again. And so their sin brought them into bondage. Their bondage brought them finally to a breaking point. And from that breaking point, they cried out to God. And because he wants to be in relationship with us, he would deliver them, bring them back to himself, and they'd go through it again and again and again. Old covenant. The old way. We are not to practice that. We're not to be old covenant people. We're to be new covenant people. You see, repentance became a problem for Israel not only because they were stubborn and they wouldn't do it, but because they actually stopped seeing why they needed to do it. The prophets described them as like living in darkness. They couldn't even see anymore. Their sin had become so commonplace and so much a part of their personality and their DNA and their history or whatever that they couldn't separate anymore. What was God in God's way versus their own stubbornness? It was just darkness. Both the, the, both of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and uh, Ezekiel, they talk about this. They say the people were just living in darkness. Their eyes were shut to knowing the truth. But we don't live there anymore. We live in the new covenant. And God has sent his Holy Spirit to teach us, to show us, to shine a light in our lives. Repentance was always a necessary requirement for any sacrifice. And it remains that way for us. If we want to benefit and live in the joy of the Lord and the love of God this year, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. He did it for us. As John the Baptist said, Jesus is coming to save you. Prepare a way by repenting, by turning. Because the issue is sin is so insidious. It isn't just something that we do. It's something that we think and it's something that we feel very deeply. We often think of sin just as a behavior up here on the surface, but down below, inside of you and inside of me, that's where sin actually resides. It shows its ugly head every now and then. But it begins in our hearts. And a good 90% of it remains hidden even from our own consciousness. Like, we're in denial of it. In other words, we live in denial about who we've judged about who we've hated, about who we've been jealous of, about what we've coveted. We're in denial. It's like the person who is on the surface is, is fit and healthy looking, but deep inside they're, they're filled with cancer. It's destroying their insides. You can't see it on the outside yet, but it's there. And what we need is the light of Jesus to kind of cat scan over our lives, to look in those deep places that nobody can see, nobody can feel because it's deep inside there. And as he cat scans up and down, he notices, he brings it to us through his word, by his spirit, and we are given the opportunity to repent, to come back. It's his desire. He's not angry. The anger of God went on the cross. The wrath of God. Sin, that sin has been paid for. He wants us to come back. Hebrews 4, 12. If you remember, a few years ago, we studied the whole book of Hebrews, but this is one of the key things that we learned from it. It says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces 
until it divides the soul from the spirit, the joints from the marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart, which you can't even judge. You think some of it's conscious, but a lot of it's subconscious. But before him, the verse goes on to say, no creature is hidden. We are all naked and laid bare before the eyes of him for whom we must give an account. God knows. So here's the good news. If you're a child of God, you are forgiven. And you can stand before a holy God without fear. And you can face the truth that's in your own heart without fear. Because you know Jesus. And you know that he's already paid the price for whatever you find in there. Whatever becomes your obstacles. And it means as children of God, we can do something that no one outside of Christ can do. You want to know what that is? We can repent. We can truly repent and be forgiven. But no one outside of Christ receives that. That's the grace of God. We don't need to live in darkness, making New Year's resolutions that we won't really keep. And never understand why we can't change, why I'm the same person I was 10 years ago. We have the Spirit of God available to us through Jesus Christ. He will counsel us. He will help us. He will change us. He will renew us. He'll even renew our minds. So our mind isn't the way it used to be. It's becoming more like the mind of Christ. Always wanting to please the Father. Always wanting to glorify the Father. Is that what you want? Because if that's what you want, that's what you can have in Christ. There's no, no one's holding you back except for you. God invites you into that type of relationship. It's a relationship of joy. Even when the secrets of your heart are revealed, there is no shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has paid for it all. All of what you consciously knew, and all of what you are discovering. He paid for it all, past, present, and future. And so we praise God for that. Without him, without his spirit, without his word to counsel us, we would be in darkness. But we are no longer in darkness because Jesus, the light of the world, has come. And his light is within you, there to guide you, there to purify you, there to make you more like him. So today we celebrate the beginning of a new year. But more importantly, we will continue to celebrate the new covenant of peace we have through Jesus Christ. It's the same God. Nothing's changed. Now that it's 2023, Jesus has come and brought peace between you and God. Your sin has been paid for on the cross. All you have to do is turn Repent and receive the grace of God. Let the love of God flow into you so it may flow through you and into the world this year. Amen?